You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. We want to talk today about understanding our times um, from a God-saturated point of view, a God-saturated worldview. I picked up that phrase from a, a guy called Tony Ranke, who wrote a book called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. And uh, he talked about a God-saturated worldview, and I hadn't heard of that before. I want to make sure that it's, he gets the credit for it. Um, over the last number of years, I've ha- had a big question in my mind, you know, how do we understand our times? I grew up in a church where um, they were premillennialists, so um, they believed that, and still do, that um, the Lord will um, come to the air for his church, and then will follow seven years of tribulation, and then the Lord will come back again after seven years, and the uh, set up his 1,000-year kingdom. Then there are other views that say there is no millennium, and they're called amillennialists. And there are post-tribulationists, which believe that we'll go through the tribulation and then the millennial will come. And there are many, many views, and it's all quite puzzling. And then um, when, when you uh, look at the headlines, you know, I looked at the headlines this morning. Next slide, please. And uh, this is the headline this morning. Look at that. North Korea warns of nuclear war as supercarrier draws near. What do we make of things like that? I looked again at the headlines a few minutes later, and it had changed. North Korea said, U.S. must be mad um, to threaten the situation. Something like that, anyway. So the world is in turmoil, and uh, trouble in Syria. We've got brothers and sisters here today from Syria and Iraq. The things that are going on there, what do we make of that all? Who are the big players in all of this? And then we look at our own uh, Western society. Is the decline in Christianity in the West inevitable? Is it irreversible? Do we throw our hands up and give up and retreat? You know, we may seem to be facing some of the biggest things in history right now. But you know, the truth is that every single generation previous to us has faced its own crisis. And they've had to deal with it. And sometimes they've dealt with it well, sometimes they've dealt with it poorly. What are we going to do? We had a, a wonderful evening here on Wednesday night. If you were here, you will have heard uh, Michael Brodicum from MST uh, bring us the word of God in relationship, relationship to refugees and how we should treat refugees. It was a wonderful word. Um, following the, the words of Jesus, you know, to take in uh, the one who is an alien. And then we had Dr. Rachel Carling Jenkins. She taught us and told us about Um, the hideous things that the government of Victoria is doing and wants to do in the future, absolutely hideous things, even allowing babies to die by starving them. And I felt like screaming, I felt like kicking somebody. (laughs) But uh, what do we do in such a situation? Does kicking and screaming do any good? I remember my dad uh, telling me, you know, some many years after the fact, He told me that in 1973, when the Suez crisis was happening in Egypt and Israel, the oil price went way up. I I actually remember that. I'm old enough to remember. And um, my dad was exceedingly worried uh, in many ways, and he hoped that this was the end. He was pretty convinced it was the end, you know, and that the Lord would come back any day, and he would take us all away, and hopefully we wouldn't have uh, reached the age of understanding. We would all go to heaven together. My dad was wrong, and many, many people were wrong before him, 
and many sins regarding the timing of the Lord's coming and all the rest of it. I want to read a few verses that, um, or uh, yeah, a few verses from a book called Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 12. It's a strange kind of a reading to take because it's a census, really. It's uh, figures, numbers, uh, people, where they came from. And uh, you might wonder what the relevance of it is, but right in the middle there is a verse. And I start off reading at verse 30, 1 Chronicles 12, verse 30. And I'm reading verses before and afterwards, so as you get uh, the context of the verses. Verse 30 of 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Men of Ephraim, brave warriors, famous for their own, in their own clans, 20,800. Men of the half-tribe of Manasseh, designed, designated by name to come and make David king, 18,000. Men of Issachar, who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs, with all their relatives under their command. Men of Zebulun, experienced soldiers prepared for battle and every type of weapon, to help David with undivided loyalty, 50,000. Men of Naphtali, 1,000 officers, together with 37,000 men, carrying shields and spears. Amen. It's the word of the Lord. Verse 32 is the one we want to concentrate on. I will read it again. Men of Isaacar, who understood the times and knew what Israel should do, 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. You know what encouragement I take from that verse? The encouragement I take from that verse is that it is possible to understand our times. They could do it back then. So if they could do it then... I believe that we could do it now, and we're even more capable of doing it now because we have many more um, resources. Now, um, another thing that I, I look at this passage and I see is that regarding many things there in that list, warriors and fighters, there are great numbers of men listed. But when it comes to those who understood the times and knew what to do, only 200 were mentioned. So they were kind of like in a small group. But still, the encouraging thing is, small or not, it still was possible to understand the times. And that, to me, is very, very encouraging. And I don't know whether David knew beforehand that they knew this, or whether it was in the course of their service of David that he discovered it. But anyway, the outcome was that they knew what to do. And David's um, army was very much, and his reign was very much blessed by a core group of men like that who knew what should be done in certain circumstances. I believe that they had a worldview that enabled them to act effectively. Whatever their worldview happened to be at that time, it enabled them to act effectively. Now, I want to ask a question. Now, where I'm going with this might be disturbing to those of you who are postmodernist and pluralistic, but um, I'm going to ask this question anyway. Two questions. First question, how many ways are there to understand the world? I believe that there are as many ways to understand the world as there are people in the world. <laughs> 7.5 billion. Now, second question, how many correct ways are there to understand the world? And the answer to that is one. And it's the way of the creator, the one who made it. And everybody else has a combination of truth and error in their worldview. And as we get closer to the one who made the world, our 
worldview conforms more and more to that one correct view that exists. And uh, understanding our times, I believe, is dependent upon a correct worldview. And by the way, the link between the guy who wrote 12 ways the, world's or the phone is changing your world or your life, changing you, is because um, he was saying that our electronic age, our mobile phones are changing our worldview. So beware. Not mentioning that anymore. Um, the wonderful thing is that God has not left us alone in this world to figure it all out by ourselves. He has given us many, many resources, and here are some of them. He's given us the Bible, and he's given us history. He's given us much more history than he had given the men of Isaacer, hadn't he? We have had um, something like 3,000 more years of history than the men of Isaacer to draw upon in trying to understand our times. We have men and women of God right now in this world and in the recent past who have seen a lot of life and can offer us help and advice. We have prayer, our relationship with God, our nearness to him. We have spiritual gifts, especially the gift of discernment in this area. And we also have the Holy Spirit. And then Amos 3 verse 7 gives us another resource that we have. Uh, Surely the sovereign Lord does not Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants and prophets. What a wonderful verse. That reminds us that God has already revealed his plans to his servant the prophets. And we can take comfort from that. All we have to do is find out what prophets are telling the truth and um, what they're saying. I love the word surely in that text. Surely the Lord God does nothing without telling his servants the prophets. A word surely, certainly, it's absolutely certainly certain that God reveals everything he's going to do to his servants, <clears throat> the prophets, before he does it. And this should be an encouragement to us because if we are engaged with, the, with what the prophets have said or are saying, we will not be taken by surprise. And we cannot say, we cannot know what is going to happen, or we can never know, because God has told us that he will reveal it to somebody, and maybe already has revealed it to the prophets, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and I believe today that some of the prophets that are going around actually do have a word from the Lord. Not all of them. I read a a prophet um, who was very uh, adamant that Hillary Clinton was going to be elected, I hope they didn't stone her. But today, I believe, as I've thought about this subject, um, I believe that there are five different reactions at least. I mean, there are probably many more, which I haven't thought of, but I thought of five reactions to the times that we're in um, today and the times that everybody's passed through. There are five different ways of handling it. And I want to look at them this morning. And the first one is basically this. Na, 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 I'm not listening, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. That carrier is not heading towards North Korea, na, 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 na. You know that kind of reaction? Deliberately blocking out the truth. Deliberately blocking out reality and information from the mind in order to avoid thinking about it. These people occupy themselves with distractions. And I should say, before I go any further, that as I thought about these reactions, many of them I have had during the course of my Christian life and at various stages. 
And I, I think I remember having this one too. Maybe you'll also identify with all four of them, five of them, hopefully, because there's one of them is good. Uh, these people occupy themselves with distractions um, so that they will not be able to be confronted with the reality. They live in the belief that certain things are not happening in their world at all or that they're happening so far away that there is no way they can affect them. But, you know, sooner or later, if we adopt that kind of a, an attitude, sooner or later it's going to catch up with us, isn't it? And we're not going to know how to deal with it at all. It's going to overwhelm us. There are a lot of people today who are not really worried about anything that's happening outside of Australia. No. Bubble Australia? But maybe that's too big. Maybe it's Bubble Melbourne. Or even, that's far too big, it's Bubble My Life. I'm not really worried about anything that's happening outside the bubble of my life. Is that you? Have you shut everything out? Have you got this force field around you that keeps out or tries to keep out every reality around us? You know, listen, 100 years ago, there was a war going on called World War I. You all know about it. Why do you know about it? Because it's affecting Australia to this very day. And on Tuesday, we will go down, many of us maybe, to the memorial and have a service there to remember World War I, World War II, 100 years ago, when technology was so uh, far behind what it is today, World War I affected Australia profoundly right to this very day. It also, World War II affected Australia profoundly. Many, many people went out from there. Even the shores of Australia were attacked by the Japanese. If there is a World War III, how much more profoundly will it not affect? So we cannot go, no, 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 this is not happening. We have to have another reaction to it. There were people in the New Testament who did that. Jesus speaks about them. Matthew 13, verse 15. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. So that's the first reaction. This is not happening. I'm not listening. Shut it out. Then the second one is this. And we were singing about it this morning, in a sense, whom shall I fear? Well, many people say, oh dear, what shall I do now? It's anxiety. Perhaps you have been crippled with anxiety and fear. And I remember episodes in my youth passing through periods of intense fear and anxiety. And uh, I heard from a good source that there are huge numbers of young people today who are passing through Anxiety. I was talking to a local GP some time ago, and he said he's dealing with one of the things that he deals mostly with. In fact, the thing that he deals mostly with in young people today is not a physical illness. It's a psychological condition called anxiety. And especially girls, he said. For some reason, maybe that's because they talk about it. Maybe the boys are going through it too, but they're not willing to talk about it. Anyway, this is an epidemic that's affecting Eltham, and Melbourne, and all of Australia. Fear. But it's not only confined to young people. It's also not only confined to non-believers. Christians are succumbing to fear and anxiety all over the place. Is this a correct um, response to understanding our times? Because times are bad, then I fear. Is that the right response? It's a default response, but is it the right one? I believe that there's a way out of that. And it's by really adopting the right worldview. I think many of the reasons why 
um, this anxiety has come is because there's an overload of information. Everybody has too much information that can't, we can't handle. We know about the war in Syria. We know about um, famine in East Africa. We know about every problem in the world that's going on, and we feel oh so helpless. We know about the political issues in Australia. We know about our families' issues. And years ago, when there was no internet and newspapers were too expensive for an average person, you only had the troubles of your own uh, street to worry about, your own family. Now we've got an information overload. And um, there is also a loss of the understanding that God is sovereign, the doctrines of God. That is one of the biggest reasons why there's anxiety, especially among Christians. They believe that God is actually not up to handling this situation. It's out of his control. They might not state that, but that's what's underlying it all. And medications won't fix this. Understand it that medications will not fix this deep anxiety. They might allow us to cope, but when you stop them, it's still there. Something greater than medication is needed. And I believe it is a, an understanding and a, of a knowledge and an acceptance of certain marvelous truths about God. A saturation in God. You know, if you rush home at night and you decide to make an Indian curry and you cut the meat up and throw it into the, the marinade, wish it around, for, uh, cook it up, and then eat it, it's not so good. But if you do that the night before, leave it a day and come and do it the next day, it's delicious. Why is that? Because the meat has been saturated in the marinade. And if we saturate ourselves in God and the truths about God, the meal is going to be good. It's going to be really tasty. Just a little, I'll not take that any farther than that, but just a little. Um, don't want you to get distracted by hunger. The scripture's antidote to anxiety is this, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. And we should all know this one off by heart. It's one of my favorites. Do not be anxious about anything, not even that carrier heading towards North Korea. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful verse. See if we can't practice that. Now, the third reaction to understanding our times is called, I'm looking after number one, and that's the prepper. Is this you? It's more of a problem in the United States, I think. They've got a TV show there, at least one, called Doomsday Prepper. Have you watched it? And uh, the philosophy behind this is there is going to be a doomsday. It's inevitable. There's no other hope. And it will be the survival of the fittest and the best prepared. So these people devote all their extra resources. In fact, they, they scrape resources out of their normal life into building a bunker, uh, to getting a, a, an ex-army um, armored vehicle, uh, to driving away into the country and building a hole in the ground, stocking it up with a year's supply of food and all the things they need, and they're ready for this disaster. Note the uh, weaponry there. Um, this perspective is totally selfish. I'm looking after number one, and if you come and try to take my food, I'll blow your head off. So that's, that's the prepper. And um, contrast that with the teaching of the Lord Jesus. If we were to do that, say I decided to prep, I'll build up a store of one year's food, I'll put it underneath the house, 
and make sure the mice don't get it. And next door neighbor comes along five days into the crisis, starving. Do I shoot him or do I give him from my reserves? I have to give him and I, uh, I would have to willingly give him from my reserves. And so all of a sudden, my one year supply of food lasts a month because all the neighbors find out and they're all around the door. And we've done what Jesus has said. And that's the main thing. So prepping's not going to work if you want to obey Jesus uh, unless you, you know, prep for the whole city. Which um, I want to read the word of God here, James chapter 2.15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. That's what James says. You know, that's an individual prepping setting where a man and his family do that. Then there's also the communal prepping setting uh, where people get together, maybe a church or uh, a certain kind of a group, and they off they go and they prep. I don't know if any of you remember Jonestown in Guyana, 1978. Well, Jim Jones, he started out as an apparently orthodox evangelical preacher. He was living in California. Were they shooting Christians in California? Were they putting them in jail? Maybe they are now, but they weren't then. And um, off he took these people to Guyana, 900 of them, and he killed them all. Trying to get away from the the world, you know. Then there was Waco, uh, David Koresh in Waco, 1993. Many of you remember that. The, uh, the, um, in Texas, I can't remember the federal drugs or whatever it was, and the FBI, they shot the place up and killed them all, um, or they killed themselves, nobody's really sure. It was all to do with a, a, a Christian guy called David Koresh who got this wrong idea, retreating from the world. But you know, certain, down through the ages, certain groups have had to do that to save their lives. I think of the Mennonites, and I think of the Moravians, the Mennonites were a, an Anabaptist group who were in uh, Europe, northern Europe, um, and around Czechoslovakia. And then they, they had to flee into the Ural Mountains in Russia. And they had to flee north into other regions to escape from the persecution. And what they did there, they, they uh, formed Christian colonies. And from there, they moved out. And one of the fruits of that is a colony in Paraguay. And we have uh, personal connections with that colony. And I want to tell you the quality of the young people out of that colony is amazing. Uh, they speak four languages. And when you get one of those Mennonites in your team, you are set up. They have whatever they've done. They've held on to the truths of the word of God. They have a great work ethic. And now they're reaching out to the world in mission. That's a different kind of a, a commune and a retreat. That's a retreat to go back out again and to serve the world. And then there's the Moravians. One of the greatest missionary movements of all time was started through persecution. The Moravians were a group of people who were from Czechoslovakia. They were Protestants, and they were persecuted by the, the Catholic Church. They were burned at the stake, and they were hounded away up to a place called Hernhut, which is on the border of Czechoslovakia, Poland, and Germany. Still there to this day. Um, the Moravian Church's headquarters is still there. But they ended up sending hundreds and hundreds of missionaries out into the world to, reach the go- to preach the gospel. And even to my own town in County Down, Kilkeel, they sent missionaries and formed a church there. 
They sent to uh, what was known as Abyssinia or Ethiopia. They, they sent to the Jamaica. They sent their clothes in a coffin. And they were given money to the boat. And after that, they were on their own. There was no internet. There was no way of sending money to Jamaica then. So they went to Jamaica and carried out their trades or sold themselves into bonded labor in order to preach the gospel. They started off in a retreat, getting away for safety. And then out they went into the world with the gospel. Different story altogether than the prepper setting. Number four, a reaction to understanding our times. God is sovereign. It will all pan out in the end. Chill out. Opt out. I, I think I recognize that one. And do you know where I recognize it from? In here at times. And I think it's a, a cop out. It's a very convenient little thing. You get out the deck chair, God's going to sort it all out. Well, let's look back in history at anything that was done for the, for the Lord. Look at William Wilberforce, the abolition of slavery. Was that done by sitting on a deck chair on Brighton Beach? Or was it by 40 years of hard labor in the parliament and total dependence on the Lord and cooperating with him? I think it was the second one. Look at Billy Graham reaching out to the, the world in the last century. Uh, millions and millions and millions of people have heard the gospel and millions have come to know Jesus. Did he do that sitting in his armchair in his little log cabin up there in North Carolina? No, he didn't. He got out there together with his team, and cooperated with the Lord. And um, even if you think of John Wesley, who was an Arminian, and people would say he would err towards the side of action and works. Or John Calvin, who's a Calvinist, um, and uh, he would err towards sovereignty of God. Both of those men believed that we had to work. We had to do something in cooperation with God. And we'll come to that later. George Whitfield, George Verwer, and uh, all of these people. They didn't sit down on their deck chair and say, God is sovereign. It will all pan out in the end. I don't need to do anything. And if anything was borne out by Wednesday night's meeting with Michael Browticum and Dr. Rachel Carling Jenkins, it was this. We need to be active and proactive in the Christian life, in the life of politics as well in the nation. We need to be raising up politicians who will change this land. Do you know that there are only a few thousand members of the Labour Party and a few thousand members of the Liberal Party in this entire nation, and they're the ones who are ruling? Only a few thousand out of 24 million. You know, if the Lord has given you a real burden to see this nation changed, why don't you consider joining one political party that closest to biblical views and, and working towards that end of changing the entire face of that party. It can't be too difficult. If there's only, I think there's only about 12,000 members of the Liberal Party in this country. Just a thought. Has anybody been nudged towards that way? Augustine is supposed to have said, St. Augustine, Pray as though everything depended on God. Work as though everything depended on you. And there's no contradiction there. But it's just hard to get the two things working at once. And I trust that 
What I'm saying here in this talk, let no part of it diminish your faith in the sovereignty of God or my faith, because that is exactly what I do not want to do. Let's read from 1 Chronicles 29.11. 1 Chronicles 29.11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. There's sovereignty coming out. Sovereignty is about rule, isn't it? He rules over it all. Continuing on. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. That's what I believe too. God is sovereign. Now, let's recap on our four reactions which are probably not the right ones. Na, 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 na. I'm not listening. Oh, dearie me, what shall I do now? I'm looking after number one. God is sovereign. It will all pan out in the end. Chill out. Opt out. Now we come to the one I believe that we need to be doing. And I've probably drawn you into it long ago. It's cooperate together with God in step with him. I believe this is the correct option in order to be able to understand our times and then to act into the times that we're living in. Acting a certain way today wouldn't have been the right way perhaps some time ago, um, or the right way to approach things. We need to be very careful and act in a culturally, um, how would you say, clever way, as wise as serpents and gentle as doves. I want to look at four people from the Bible who cooperated with God and so changed their society and the course of history. First one is Daniel. Daniel was taken captive from Jerusalem into Babylon by the King Nebuchadnezzar um, probably about 2,500 years ago, something like that. And uh, he, uh, instead of moping and uh, becoming a resistance fighter, he was taken into the Babylonian courts, taught all the ways of the Babylonians, and uh, really educated as a Babylonian. Yet, in all of that, he never lost his faith in Yahweh, the one true God. In fact, not only did he have a doctrinal understanding of Yahweh, he had a living, daily, personal faith. Growing up in Sunday school, we sang a song, Daniel was a man of prayer. Daily, he prayed three times, even when they had him cast in the den of lions. Daniel changed the course of the history of the Babylonian Empire. He saved the lives of hundreds of people who were about to be put to death, and he did it by cooperating with God. I'll read a verse or two from Daniel 2, 21 to 23. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever, Daniel writes. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. It's good to know. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God, our, our fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of a king. A wonderful life of miracles and relationship with God. Daniel changed the course of history. Then Joseph. Joseph came many, many years before Daniel. Um, he was also taken into captivity. He was 
in, in um, contra, uh, contrast to Daniel, he was made a slave. He was put in prison for a long time. And yet he still held on to his faith in Yahweh. Very, very similar um, outcomes. He was raised to the second in command of the land. Daniel was raised to third of the command of the land. And um, the Lord raised him up not only to save his own family, but to save an entire region from devastation. The Lord used Joseph to actually save the bloodline of Jesus Christ from extinction, which was amazing. Genesis 45, verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one who you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. In another place it says, You meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. And uh, Joseph, cooperating with God in a personal relationship with him, with a God-saturated worldview, was used by God to change the entire course of history. Had there been no Joseph, there'd be no Jesus. Strange to say that, but it's true. He acted in obedience to God in such a way that secured the line of Jesus. Then there was Paul in the New Testament. He was also very, very keenly aware that he was cooperating with God. And one of Paul's favorite phrases was, fellow uh, co-worker with God or fellow worker with God says it several times in the New Testament and here in 1 Corinthians 3 9 he says for we are God's fellow workers you are God's field and God's building that's what it says in the ESV so regardless of the situation here crisis or in peace our status as God's fellow workers must remain the same it should always be the same in peacetime or in war Ephesians 2 10 says for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, in the very, very beginning of creation, God gave Adam and Eve and their descendants, us, stewardship over the world. And that was to work in cooperation with God to oversee the running of this world. We have been, input, we have been put in charge of that. And we have messed up badly. But nevertheless, the charge remains to look after this planet in cooperation with God. And Paul, through his cooperating with Jesus uh, and the Holy Spirit, has changed the course of history. There are polls taken every now and again and research done as to who is the most influential person in the entire world. Usually it comes up Jesus Christ, and very often second is Paul, or third, something like that. Even one person put St. Paul as the most influential person in the world, in their view. So this man did that in cooperation with God. And then, of course, the epitome of all co-workers with God is Jesus Christ himself. He is our supreme example in what it means to cooperate with God. Of course, he is the God-man himself. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7 says of Jesus, uh, and it's actually speaking Uh, prophetic words in Jesus' um, voice himself. Then I said, here I am. It is written of me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. So Jesus, as you know, cooperating with God, changed the entire course of history. And he changed my life. And I believe that he's changing your lives as well. 
So in conclusion, and towards a correct understanding of our world and our times, there are some things that I think we need to do, some resources that we need to lay hold of. And the first one is prayer. Prayer is, first of all, going in before we go out. It's going into that quiet place. Jesus said, go into your room and shut the door and pray. I think if we really, really knew the powerful resource that prayer is, we would do it more. Prayer is something that we neglect, something that I've neglected, something that I continue to neglect to my peril at times. I want to encourage us all to stop neglecting prayer. Because if we do, things will change. Our lives will change. Our community will change. Our nation will change. And the world will change. God will intervene, as he has done many, on many, many occasions. I think often of our own boys. Um, for years, they were ill. For seven years, Joel was ill, very ill, with um, a thing called multiple protein food allergies. Multiple protein food allergies. And he was getting worse and worse. And we prayed, and we prayed. Hundreds and hundreds of times we prayed. And sometimes we even said, is it... We prayed so many times, is it even worth it? And then one time it was worth it. All of the times it was worth it. But on one night, God just said, enough. That's it. It's over. And he healed Joel and Caleb on the, on the one night, on the same night, the same instance. We need to pray. Is prayer a part of your life? Is it part of your daily routine? Is it a part of your weekly routine? Are you a member of a prayer group? If you're not, please join one. Start praying and we will see major things. You will see major things in your life. And then, of course, there's trust. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace him or her whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. And the King James says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you. In other words, if our mind is fixed on God, he will keep us in perfect peace. Trust, prayer and trust is a major resource in order to understand our times. What are we trusting in? We're trusting in the word of God, the promises of God, and God himself. And of course, we've already touched on work. We need to work. It's just a... Uh, had a fresh glimpse of this by listening to John Piper last week about the importance of work for the Lord. Sometimes we can adopt an over-Calvinistic um, understanding of things and, and slack off and let God will do it. God will sort it out. But God has asked us to work. And uh, Jesus said, as long as it is day, we must work. We must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. So this is the time for working. If we want to understand our time, it's the time for working. There is a time for rest. Hebrews talks about that. That's later. And of course, we have our weekly rest. Don't forget about that. And we must cooperate with God. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, Therefore, dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Are you thinking about pulling out of the Lord's work for a while, for a long while? Who gave you license for that? Hang in there. Don't give up. It's not yet night. It's day. It'll still work. So reconsider that thought. And then we must love. Because if we don't love, we'll be like uh, 
resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. And then another thing, get informed. Charles Spurgeon said, we must live in this world. We must preach with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Why did he say that? Because the things that are going on in the world will inform our understanding of the world. But the Bible must be superintending over that information. It must be the one that filters the information that we receive. Do you, are you the kind of person who has stopped listening to the news? I, I'd encourage you not to become a news addict, but to listen to it. And vary your sources. Don't always listen to CNN. Don't, in fact, hardly ever bother. Um, try uh, some of the, uh, a collection of sources like BBC, um, Al Jazeera, Russia Today. Try and get a kind of a, an overall picture of what's going on because in that you might be able to come to the truth because they've all got biases and they've all got a message they want to put over which is filtering out some of the truth. So, so do that. Be informed. And of course, saturate yourself in the word of God. Read the Bible daily. Be a student of history. Because I don't think we can understand today if we don't understand yesterday. How can you all of a sudden understand today if you've no clue what happened yesterday? Be a student of history. Um, whether it's church history, whether it's world history, the history of Australia. Because understanding history helps us understand today. Understanding history and today helps us understand the future. So get into history. By the way, we're having a lecture on history here. On Wednesday nights, every second Wednesday nights at 4.12, we'll be studying the Reformation, which is 500 years old. Sign up and inform yourself. Make every, um, take every opportunity that there is for informing yourself, for upskilling yourself, for getting all these resources to understand our times because we don't want to be caught on the hop when something happens. And then one last thing. We know something very special about this time. This time is the day of salvation. Let me read to you. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1. As God's fellow workers, there's that phrase again, as God's fellow workers. We urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. We want to understand our time one of the major factors of our time is it's now is the time of God's favor. It's the day of grace. It's an opportunity for us to be made right with God. Do you know Jesus yet as your Lord and Savior? Are you here at church today because somebody invited you, but you don't really understand you're not part of the kingdom of God yet? This is a day of opportunity. Don't leave this building today without coming to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior because it's only and saturating ourselves in him that we will really understand what this world is all about. May the Lord help you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we have looked at ways of understanding our times and really only scratched the surface. May these thoughts be little seeds that will grow and develop hunger in each of us to get saturated in you like a good marinade like something has a beautiful taste, in order that we might understand our times and then be able to act into them in a way which is effective, a way which wins people to Jesus, a way which keeps all our fears at bay and 
allows us to live in peace because we know that you have promised certain things. We know that you have promised to keep us as we heard from Romans 8 earlier on, as we heard from some of these songs that we've been singing. Help us, Lord, to digest all of this and change for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.